everybody, and welcome to another edition of the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Austin Miller, and on today's podcast, we will be breaking down the results from Match Week 6 in the Copa Libertadores, as well as taking a look ahead to the round of 16 in the competition. That draw was held earlier this week, so we have our ties set, and the path to our final in Santiago in late November is now set. Introducing the team for this week's show, Adam Brandon is in Chile. Adam, not a great week for Chilean sides in the Copa Libertadores, but as our friend Simon always says, it's all about the, the Copa Sudamericana anyway, right? Yeah, indeed. That's, that's the real quiz. Um, I, think, uh, I think it's been pretty good, though, football to me since we last spoke. Norwich became champions. Arica, a joint top of the third tier in in Chile, on the march back up the leagues here. So, yeah, football, football's been pretty good to me, aside from the uh, Chilean teams in the Libertadores, so not trying to get too down about. Speaking of Simon Edwards, he's the next member of the team for this week's show in Medellin, Colombia. Simon, it's all about the Sudamericana for Colombian sides. No late heroics for Deportes Tolima and Junior De Barranquilla are finally done with the Copa Libertadores after leaving their mark with one goal scored. Yeah, I mean, it could have been worse, but just just about, not much <laughs> not worse. Really, I mean, <laughs> technically, yes, but not really. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they weren't quite the worst team in the history of the Copa Libertadores, but they did come quite close. Uh, yeah, so disappointing on the Colombian front. Uh, I'm hedging my bets. I'm, I'm kind of Colombo-Ecuadorian expert now. Uh, I'm... I'm Weighing up a move to Guayaquil uh, just to just to be safe on the safe side. Give myself uh, keep my seat in the uh, World Football Index towers for the for the podcast. But uh, yeah, disappointing from Colombian perspective. Um, but uh, plenty of good football to discuss. And rounding out the team on this week's show is Tom Robinson, our Argentine football expert, based in Norwich in England. Tom, did you go to the, the Norwich City Parade? I did indeed. I was I was there front and centre. It was actually coming straight past my office, so I, I actually had a better view than probably most of the people um, outside. But yeah, saw the uh, saw the bus come past and and saw the uh, the well. The, in the end, they ended up being on a sort of tourist uh, hop on hop off bus with because the actual bus seemed to have broken down. So yeah, very very on brand for for Norwich. But yeah, good <laughs> good to see my fellow. Argentinian fan uh, Emi Buendia enjoying himself up there. So yeah, good time to be in uh, in the in Norwich at the moment, and uh, hoping that Villa can join them shortly um, in the Premier League. So yeah, yeah. all good. My well, personally, I'm not. I'm I'm hoping that um, that the Norwich bus with "We Are Premier League" plastered all over it, breaking down, isn't a bad omen. <laughs> League campaign next season. We shall see. Well, let's get into this week's show, talking about the Libertadores, guys. And we will start with match week six. A couple of groups were not all the way decided, but generally decided coming into this week. Positioning first or second was really the only thing on the line. So we're going to break down the matches that really meant something. And we'll start in group H. Gremio hosted Universidad Católica. Libertad were assured of the top spot in this group coming in to the final night in group H. Gremio had to win or draw against the Chilean sides, while the Chileans had to win if they were to go through. And Adam, in the end, it was a fairly comfortable 2-0 win for Gremio against Universidad Católica. They stumbled to start this competition, Gremio did, 
but they go through, and the way that they played over the back stretch, I think they're kind of one of the picks to continue to go on in this competition based on what they've shown. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been an interesting campaign from Gremio because they looked really poor when when saw them here in Santiago earlier in the in the competition. Um, Catolica beat them 1-0, but it was it was a comfortable 1-0 victory, really. And at that stage, it looked like the Chileans were really well-placed to go through. Um, but, you know, they, they blew it really in that home game against uh, Libertad when they were leading 1-0 and they ended up losing that game. Um, and I think they made another error when they went away to Rosario Central and seemingly didn't particularly play for the win, um, which would have given them a lot better shot to, to go through. Um, they ended up drawing 1-1 in Argentina. You know, we saw how poor Rosario Central were in this competition. So to go there and just have 32% possession um, was really, really disappointing. Um, but they did lead for a lot of the game, so that you could say that could explain why they why they were happy for Rosario to have a lot of the ball, but they rarely threatened. And, and in a game, they needed to go and win, really. Because if they had won that, then they would have gone to Porto Alegre just needing a draw. And I think that would have been doable. But the fact they needed to go to away to Gremio and get, and get a win, that was always that always looked a fairly unlikely goal to achieve for for the Chileans. Um, and their performance in Porto Alegre, let's face it, was very very disappointing. I expected them to put up a little bit more of an effort. Just two shots on target all night. You know, Gremio ran out comfortable winners. I can never. I can't remember Catolica having a real chance all game. Um, you know, they fell behind on 23 minutes. Uh, Allison got on, got on the end of a long ball forward. Uh, really good control and finish. But yeah, a little bit disappointed with the defending there. And then with Catolica trying to push on a little bit more. They leave. They left themselves exposed to be, yeah, easily cut open for the second goal. Um, I just found certainly Catolica's collapse from having six points after three games. You know, at that point, you know, they're looking for f- just four points from their last three, and that looked very doable at that point. I would have said, uh, and not to get that, just to end up with one point from their last three, was. Uh, was really exceptionally disappointed, in my opinion. And the, the cost of it for them is Edson Puch, who's been probably their star player so, so far this year. They can't afford to keep him. He, he's he's going to be off in, in the next month because without the Libertadores, they can't afford him. And their goalkeeper as well, Matias de Dura, he's probably off as well because for, for the same reason, he, he's sought out after by Mexican clubs and they need to get him off the wage bill now as well. So, yeah, this, this was a costly defeat um, for, for Catolica. And uh, and they were Chile's best hope of, of maybe doing something in this competition as well. I, I thought I thought the tactics were were all wrong, really, in, certainly in the last two games. Um, wrong line-up, just not enough... Not enough faith in 
playing their own game, trying too much to, to play on the counter. And in that squad, they've, they've got good enough players to outpass this Gremio side, in my opinion. But it just seemed to me that they that the that the manager Pinteros didn't didn't have the faith to to do that. Adam, quickly while we're on the subject of Chilean sides, Católica will go to the Copa Sudamericana, as will Palestino in Group A. Uh, Internacional and River Plate played out a draw, though both teams had already decided first and second in that group. Uh, Palestino did not end up losing to Alianza Lima by a boatload of goals. So they are through in Group A to the Copa Sudamericana. What do you make of their chances in that competition? Well, firstly, did you see the goal that Alianza Lima scored in that game? Uh, Comedy of errors, I think, is the best way to describe that goalkeeping. (laughs) Indeed. It was a a shot from Donas Costa and... Uh, Ignacio Gonzalez, a, a goalkeeper I've been fairly critical of in the, in this Libertadores campaign for Palestino, um, sort of tried to punch it away, but it went high, high up in the air, came spinning back down and uh, and ended up bouncing off him and going into the net, which was uh, which was fairly comical to to witness. But Palestino came back really well in that game, and Renato. Barry Fenyor got two goals to, to give them a, t- a 2-1 win and a much-deserved 2-1 win as well. So, yeah, like you say, Palestino sealed their place in the Sudamericana that way. Um, yeah, they've, they've, draw, they've been drawn against Zulia, um, which out of the sides that the Chilean sides got looks to be probably the most comfortable fixture um, for, for any of them. Palestino today have actually put in a request to not to have to play the game in uh, the away leg in, in Venezuela. Um, so it'd be interesting what Commonwealth's response to that is. Um, they, want, they want it played uh, on a neutral venue, um, given all the problems we've seen with Venezuelan sides playing at home in this Libertadores this year. Um, with uh, floodlight failures, especially, I don't think it's actually an unreasonable requ- unreasonable request from from Palestina. So it's going to be interesting what Commonwealth do about that. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, Austin, do I think they have a chance of making a run? I think looking at the bracket they're in, if they can get past this, then I think it's Sporting Cristal or Union Española in the next game, and I think they're capable of beating either of those as well. So I could certainly see them perhaps get into the last eight or even what we've seen from them so far, you know, but they have been a pretty competitive uh, side in the in the Libertadores. They gave Internacional two good games. Um, they gave River one good game and a bit disappointing at home. But, yeah, overall... It was uh, it was a decent campaign for from Palestino, given their budget and everything. And maybe the Sudamericana will uh, offer them a chance to to go deep in a, in a in a Commonwealth competition. That Copa Sudamericana tie will be played beginning this coming week, uh, quickly here at the end of May, and then the later rounds of that competition will come along with the later rounds of the Libertadores starting in late July. Let's move now to Group B. We're heading into match into the final match day. Cruzeiro had won all five of their matches and were assured of the top spot. The thing they were playing for was perhaps the top overall seed. They hosted Emelec while Deportivo Lara went away to a Huracan side that had been nothing short of dreadful 
in the Copa Libertadores. But it was Emelec winning away to Cruzeiro and Huracan winning at home against Deportivo Lara. So in the end, Emelec, Simon, go through in second on nine points. A point total that is maybe a bit friendly to them considering how they started the group stage. But they rallied well at the end and they've got their spot in the round of 16. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun game. And obviously, both teams already qualified. It was an interesting one. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, the, the game. Um, it kind of played out in the way you'd hope. Uh, MLX scored first, a, a long-range volley that, that pinged off the goalkeeper, the back of the goalkeeper's head and went down as, a, as an own goal. A really nice volley from uh, Jao Rojas, um, which put them up. And, and it really set the tone for the game. It meant then that Cruzeiro had to attack, and they did. A lot of good chances. Uh, MLX still had a little bit on the counter, but at 1-0, they were quite content to, to allow Cruzeiro the ball. Cruzeiro put a lot of crosses into the box, a lot of shots from range. Um, they came close a, a good number of times. Eventually, they equalised uh, in the second half to make it to make it one all. And again, at that point, the game was very open. Both teams uh, felt comfortable in their position in the group. Um, the the goal for Emelec came across into the box uh, nicely. Nice. Yeah. So Emelec will head to the round of sixteen as the worst place of the teams that make it there. That means any tie that they'll play, they'll host the first leg and travel for the second leg. As I alluded to earlier, Deportivo Lara came into the final night with a chance to qualify for the round of 16. They needed a, the right set of results. Emelec winning negated any chance that they had, but they also negated any chance that they had by themselves with a very disappointing 3-0 loss away to Huracan. They will drop to the Copa Sudamericana. Lara showed some signs in this group stage. They had some positive performances, but in the end, they only picked up five points and that left them well short of qualifying for the round of 16. Let's move on to Group D, which appeared to be the most finely poised of the groups heading into the final match day. Flamengo, Liga de Quito, and Peñarol were all in with a chance to qualify. Flamengo and Peñarol faced off against each other with the knowledge that a loss for either of them or a draw for Peñarol could see them out of the competition, while Liga de Quito were behind by two points coming into the final night, but had the knowledge that they would play San Jose Giotto on the final day. And with that possibility, knew that a good result there could be enough to vault them ahead of teams as long as the goal differential maybe went in their favor. A lot was at stake. And in the end, a nil-nil draw between Flamengo and Peñarol and a 4-0 win for Liga de Quito in which all four goals were scored in the second half, including three by Anderson Julio, sends the Ecuadorians and Flamengo through to the round of 16. Peñarol dropped disappointingly to the Copa Sudamericana. Tom, I'll bring you in to talk about Peñarol here. It looked like they would have enough to get out of this group. They picked up a win away at the Metacana against Flamengo. And as it was, all that they needed was another win against Flamengo at home on the final day. They just couldn't find the back of the net. And that's what ends up costing them a spot in the round of 16, despite the fact that they picked up a fairly impressive 10 points in this group. Yeah, I think Peñarol will will be quite gutted they haven't made it out. It's their seventh consecutive elimination at the group stage. Um, I think the last time they actually even got out of the group, they finished runners-up. So it's all or nothing from from them. But uh, yeah, I, I was thinking that they're going to break that duck this year. They've done really well um, earlier in the, in the ties and, and they pretty much always score at home as 
entertaining game. Really, got was a uh, sort of showed the best and worst of him. He had he had a, quite a big miss early on, um, and there were a lot of um, I thought Flamengo were looking the most likely to score for most of the first half. A lot of uh, crosses like flashed across the face of the goal. A lot of you know Paul Gascoigne diving chances just missed. Um, but you know Peñarol had a few chances themselves. Um, Gabriel Fernandez hit the post. Um, Brian Fernandez was looking decent as well. Good young player that's that's worth watching. Um, and then Flamengo got um, one of their, I think the right back para got sent off. I think a bit un- unlucky to have been sent off there. But after that, there was a lot of uh, Peñarol pressure, as I'm sure news filtered uh, to them of Quito's uh, 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 smashing of uh, San Jose. So I think probably going into the game and and probably even at half time, they thought oh, there's no, there's no chance that um, the goal differential is going to going to be turned um, against us here and I because think they the thing maybe was, pe- the thing was Tom Liga de Quito and San Jose was nil-nil at halftime Liga de Quito looked exactly. tense it looked as though oh, they might you know sneak this out but the goal differential might not flip so a draw could be enough but then the floodgates opened for Liga de Quito as they often did against San Jose in this competition they conceded 19 goals in six group stage matches and then that turned the tide against Peñarol and they had to kind of open up and, and try to go get that goal Exactly. And I think it's so hard to kind of get yourself like going and, and step up a gear when when you've kind of set your stall out for for a classic kind of, uh, yeah, draw is going to be enough here. Let's keep it tight and make sure we don't lose. And it's I think it just was too too late in the game for them to really pick up and find the necessary to, necessary intensity that they needed to to find that goal. So, yeah, un, unlucky from Peñarol um and I think that uh yeah they'll be they'll be uh, cursing their their chances of uh, of having gone through here because uh yeah I, I thought they were worth worth a place in the knockout round I think it's fair to say that they were unlucky but also if you look back to match week five Peñarol went away to play San Jose Giotto and they got beat 3-1 in that match the only win that San Jose picked up in that competition that result goes differently, then it all sets up for the, for the final night a lot differently. So, that, you know, that's what we've seen in this competition. You have to win your home matches and you have to take care of business when you can away from home. You know, they countered that with a, an away win against Flamengo that maybe you wouldn't have expected. But a positive result against what was by far the, the worst team in this group. And it's a lot different for, for Peñarol. As for Flamengo, they're through as group winners on 10 points. It wasn't terribly convincing in the end. A pair of convincing home wins, uh, a road win by a goal against San Jose, and then this point against Peñarol was what they picked up. Going into this match, you you mentioned it, Tom. Peñarol have struggled to get out of the group. Flamengo have had their struggles in the group stage in the Copa Libertadores in years past. So there was a lot on the line for both of these teams. It kind of felt like one of them was going to go out. You, you favored Liga de Quito to go through, and in the end it was Peñarol. Not super impressive, from Flamengo, but they did what they had to do and they got out of this group um, in what was a fairly tricky situation down the stretch for them. So give them credit to that. Uh, the pressure will continue to be on Flamengo as it always is as, as they head towards the round of 16. But that wraps up the action in Group D. Let's move quickly, Tom, to Group E, where Atletico Mineiro beat Zamora uh, to book their spot in the Copa Sudamericana. And Cerro Porteño and Nacional played out a 1-1 draw that saw Cerro Porteño finish top of the group. Not a terribly uh, important match as far as the results are concerned. First and second was on the line. But Tom, a couple of scouting spotlight darlings with the goals here. 
Santiago Arismendia for Cerro Porteño. And our old friend Rodrigo Amaral is back. And he scored a free kick goal for Nacional. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Amaral's business is free kicks and, and business is good. Um, absolute long range thunder bastard from uh, Amaral there. Similar to what he's done for the under 20s in the past one of the strikes of the week and um yeah absolutely fantastic strike from him Arzimendi is also a very nice curled left-footed free kick so two really nice goals um for two you know impressive sides who who knew that they were already qualified saw the draw out um and yeah looking looking good to going into the into the knockout round I think as well Nacional this is their best group stage haul for for about a decade and you know, I don't want to draw too many uh, tenuous links, but maybe having that, you know, joker in the pack of Amaral is, is just the the thing they need to give them a bit of spark in, in tight games that they, you know, they might see themselves edging 1-0, they might see themselves losing 1-0. He's got that, you know, talent and... Um, surprise factor that he can he can hit you from anywhere on the pitch basically um so yeah i was i for one was very happy to see both of our boys um living up to the hype that we've been giving them mainly um but uh, yeah very good and i think also uh, you know just very briefly to touch on atletico mineiro definitely for me one of the biggest disappointments of the group stage we, we saw sure. both their good and bad sides in the in the qualifying rounds um but they never really showed their attacking fluidity um in this group stage and and maybe it was a case that we just kind of expected a bit too much from a side that that clearly wasn't good enough to qualify directly in the first place but i'm definitely still feeling a bit underwhelmed apart from the the you know the the silver lining of the announcement of um alejandro um quite an an interesting name there, but yeah, the young 19-year-old striker with a brace, a really nice uh, header for the second goal, which is kind of as he was kind of falling backwards, he managed to loop the header in, and you know I think he did pretty well in the in the state leagues earlier in the year, and um, yeah, maybe one to watch Austin. Yeah, and Atlético Mineiro have made a hot start in the Brasileira down before a loss uh, this past weekend against Palmeiras. They will, I think, be one of the sides in the Copa Sudamerica to watch out for, despite this poor performance. But you're spot on. Disappointing from them in the Libertadores. Uh, we certainly expected a lot more of them coming out uh, of the qualifying stages and into this group. Adam, only one more Chilean disappointment for you to talk about in match week six. And this time it was Universidad de Concepcion in group C, who went away to Mendoza to face Godoy Cruz. It was a 1-0 win for Godoy Cruz in the end. And Adam, it was a match that was, to say the least, unremarkable. Oh, it was just dreadful. And I said earlier that I was disappointed with Gatolica, but perhaps I was even more disappointed uh, with Universidad de Concepcion. Certainly, the way they went about this game, um, I just found them to be so passive. Godai Cruz, for me, have prob- are probably the worst side, I think, going through to the last 16 that I've seen anyway. San Lorenzo um, would like to say hello to that point, but your point uh, is well taken. San, San Lorenzo were fairly solid. I, 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 I didn't notice that Almiron got got the boot there. Bit harsh in my opinion. Yeah, he did an amazing job to get that San Lorenzo side through. But no, seriously, I think, I think um, this was just a performance where Universidad de Concepcion looked rather scared, I think, of the Argentines. And I, and I don't really know why. 
you know, Universidad de Concepcion are, are a side which are very comfortable in, in possession and, and, and they did dominate the ball in this game, but it was it was football without really any purpose. Uh, so, so they had more than 60% possession in the game, but they didn't have a shot on target, which kind of tells, tells its own story, really. Um, and, I, and I can't remember any real chances they had either. Um, Godai Cruz took the lead on 24 minutes. Uh, Angel Gonzalez with the goal. But I, I'm still baffled by just the lack of urgency in the, in the Chilean performance as well in this one. Like even in going into the last 10, 15 minutes, if you showed it to somebody, they would never guess that Universidad Concepcion needed to score two goals to go through. Uh, it, 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 was, it, it was just baffling to me, uh, the lack of urgency, the lack of go- cohesion. The only thing I will say, this is a side which has really struggled to balance both the league and the Libertadores and they've ended up suffering in both. So they're out of the Libertadores and they're in the bottom three in the league. Um, it's also a side which has an average age of 30. So but there's probably not many sides in the competition with a, with a higher average age than that. So, and, and I think that told um, quite a few late goals. Um, you know, their costly match really in this group was the game against Olympia where they were 3-1 up and um, and they ended up drawing 3-3. Olympia scored their equaliser in injury time. I think it's really a combination of factors uh, which has which has seen them go out. And it was another side after sort of after halfway point I thought were really well placed to go through, but unfortunately I don't think they quite held it together mentally. And uh, and I think, in contrast to Katolika's problems, I think there was a physical element lacking here as well with, with the fitness of the players. And I think the age of the squad, like I mentioned, was a big contributing factor to that and also sort of just the lack of squad depth in general. I, I want to jump in and defend Godoy Cruz a little bit here because um, as much as, you know, they are a pretty miserly team that don't really concede many, don't really score too many, um, I thought, you know, they've done pretty well on what is a, a very limited squad to get this far. I think it is more of a case of a, a missed opportunity for Concepcion. Um, but that sort of same, on the flip side of Concepcion having two older squad, I think, you know, this is a very young uh, Godoy Cruz squad. I think there's no one, no one in that starting lineup against Concepcion was over 30. I think only two players were only uh, were over 25. And uh, you know you've got young players like Aleo, young 20 year old left back uh, Burgoa, who who looks like a real talent, is um is still a teenager, um and you know good young ish you know or guys in their prime like Angel Gonzalez, Enriquez, Andra, um you know lots lots of solid Argentinian league players and and all the more impressive when you consider that Bernardi is their manager who's yeah he really isn't um anything to to write home about so um even though they kind of had less possession I think they 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 really dominated especially in the air Concepcion couldn't just couldn't handle them physically or aerially at all and um and uh, obviously it's nice to see a last minute dust up as well it wouldn't be a uh, Libertadores final group game without a, a couple of red cards there in injury time and uh, yeah some uh, 
pretty uh, hilarious scenes of uh, just, uh, sort of just dog, the show running around. <laughs> just, just the shame that they didn't show that kind of fight in the last twenty minutes of the game. It kind of exactly. annoyed me to see that. It was just like, oh, okay, well, you look upset at going out now, but you could have channeled that en- energy into a more uh, energetic performance in the last 15, 20 minutes of the game. Quickly, the other result in this group, Sporting Cristal 1-0 winners away against Olympia. Christian Palacios getting the goal. A pretty impressive uh, result, that, for Sporting Cristal, which actually vaulted Quite them. significant, too, yeah. past him, because that knocked Universidad de Concepcion out of uh, the sort of Americana places as well. Sporting Cristal technically were alive to go through, but they needed a lot of the goal differential math to go in their favor, and then Godoy Cruz winning negated all of that. But they did get the Copa Sudamerica spot, as Adam said, at the expense of Universidad de Concepcion. One more match to break down for match week six uh, that had at least something at stake in Group G. Atletico Paranaense were through regardless of what happened on the final match day. Boca Juniors were all but through. It would have taken a lot of goals in the Deportes Tolima-Jorge Wilsterman game for that to change. Deportes Tolima did get a 2-0 win away against King Eddie's bunch. Jorge Wilsterman out of the Libertadores. Tolima through to the Sudamericana. Tom, late drama at La Bombonera. A 2-1 win for Boca Juniors. Atletico Paranaense took the lead in this match, but two goals late from Boca Juniors, including the winner by Carlos Tevez. Uh, saw Boca Juniors actually end up winning this group ahead of Atletico Paranaense. And, Tom, we'll get to see this done all over again in the round of 16 because they've been drawn together. <laughs> exactly, yeah. A bit, bit of a shame, I think, from uh, from a neutral's perspective that we've seen um, a couple of repeat ties um, in the round of 16. But to be fair, these uh, these two sides have served up some quite interesting games. And, uh, and I, th- I think... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. They've they've got one. It's going to be fascinating going forward. But but yeah, on the night, Boca managed to snatch that top spot, having to come from behind. It was a pretty terrible, sodden pitch. As as anyone who's watched um, what uh, the Bombonera can be like um, after some heavy rain, it's uh, the drainage isn't great there. So uh, yeah, not not a great surface to play on. And uh, yeah, Boca, Boca were, I would say, the better side. They had a lot of chances but couldn't convert um, until Marco Ruben, who's been in fantastic form in the Libertadores, probably got one of the sort of lowest to the ground diving headers you're ever likely to see. A really good diving header. Um, yeah, one, one of his uh, specialities, the diving header. Um, after uh, yeah, big, I think a free kick came in. Andrade didn't really cover himself in glory, and uh, Ruben was there to uh, yeah get down and, and get a sixth goal of the tournament. Tom, he's um, been one of the signings in South America uh, from the past transfer window that I think has done the best. A, a perfect type of player at a perfect spot of need for Paranaense. He's your classic great Libertadores striker, perfect in that type of quality, and he's been a really, really good signing for Paranaense. Yeah, he's a striker with of talent and you know ever since he came back and and did great things with Rosario Central uh, you know he, he had a, an amazing first season with them back in 2015 I think and um you know he, he chipped in maybe not been quite as good um for them over the last couple of years but he's he's rediscovered that form for uh, Paranaense and, and one of those guys who's who had a good if not you know stellar European career um came back for maybe a, a bit earlier than he needed to um but yeah we can definitely do a job and you know you could see him sticking around for 
for a good four or five years and and be- becoming sort of one of those strikers that goes from Liber- Libertadores club to Libertadores club, um, d- doing good, good bits for them. So, uh, yeah, good, really good uh, tournament for him so far. But uh, luckily for the Argentinians, Boca were able to get back into it. Um, Lisandro Lopez, the the centre back, um, managed to. Yeah, react quite well to prod in um, a goal. Pretty poor keeping again from Santos, uh, the the Paranense keeper. Uh, goalkeeping being uh, something of a, of a theme this week, I would say, with a lot of poor efforts um, from the uh, the guys between the sticks. Um, and then Wellington got a red card for a fairly reckless challenge on Carlos Tevez. Um, and it was Tevez who got the final laugh with a expertly taken drive from the edge of the area in, in the fifth minute of injury time, um, which gave, yeah, gave Boca the three points and top spot in the group. And it's, it's quite a good little run that Boca have gone on now. Um, I think the last time they lost was actually to Paranaense at the start of April. And they've only had two competitive losses in 2019. So under Alfaro, they might not play the most spectacular type of um, football, but with the likes of Zarate and, and Tevez popping up um, and, you know, having having a good midfield there of Marconi, Nandez, Almendra um, and, a, and a fairly solid centre-back pairing and, and probably the best form goalkeeper in, in Argentina right now in Andrada, even though he had, had a bit of a, a wobbly time in this game. Um, they're, they're kind of putting together a bit of a head of steam and, and I think Alfaro's sort of no-nonsense, you know, solid without being spectacular football suits the Boca identity quite well. And and you can see how, how much Huracan have, uh, have missed him since he left as well. So I think um, either one of these sides could probably go through in the next round. But um, I feel like Boca are, are starting to uh, click into gear. Very quickly, the other set of results that we didn't touch on in depth was in Group F. We're coming into the final night. Palmeiras and San Lorenzo were assured of going through. It was a 1-0 win for Palmeiras. That sent them top of the group. San Lorenzo, four goals scored, 10 points won, go through in second. And in the other match, Melgar, 1-0 winners away to Junior, sends Melgar to the Sudamericana. And Junior out of continental competition after one goal scored in six matches let's transition to talking about the round of 16 as i said earlier that draw took place on monday night uh, at convoy headquarters in paraguay although the draw for monday afternoon was actually the one that we wanted in the test draw during the afternoon the two kind of super classicos that were possible based on the pots river plate and boca and gremio and internacional were both drawn out in the test draw however that did not come to pass in the actual draw so we are robbed River Boca round two so quickly after round one. And also what would have been a fantastic tie between Gremio and Internacional. That being said, though, we do have some pretty tasty ties coming up in the round of 16. We'll touch on most of them quickly here. We already talked about Atletico and Boca Juniors. Those two teams have been drawn together in the round of 16. Another set of repeats is Gremio and Libertad out of Group H. I think that's a very intriguing tie. We've seen some success for Paraguayan sides so far in this competition. They've certainly been the standout nation uh, based on expectations versus performance. And Gremio a side that, as we've said, have kind of come into form in this competition down the stretch. So that's a fantastic tie. But Tom, I think the tie of the round of 16 will be Cruzado against River Plate. The defending champions, the Argentine Giants on one hand, 
On the other hand, a really talented Brazilian side in Cruzeiro who have been very good in cup competitions lately. They're the two-time defending Brazilian cup champions. They won their first five matches in the Copa Libertadores. This is the pick of the round of 16 ties, is it not? Oh, definitely. It's, it's the one that jumped out to me straight away. I was very impressed with Cruzeiro. I mean, a, apart from that last game um, where they kind of took their foot off the gas, they'd um, they, they'd won all their all their games and were looking really imperious. So they're, they're looking like one of the best contenders for this. And you can never write River off because, you know, they've done fantastic in this tournament over the um, over the years, um, in recent years under Gajardo. Um, obviously, they're the, the reigning champions as well. And even though they might not look as strong as, as perhaps the, the last year, um, they've got, they've got a, you know, an interesting young side, provided they can hold on to them this summer. Um, with the likes of um, Palacios, Christian Ferreira, uh, Julian Alvarez up front, and, and even Nico de la Cruz is is kind of showing the form that we saw for the under twenty. So, you know, they they had their they had their wobbles in defence um, during the group stage, and I think we we saw that in the, the two all draw against Internacional. Um, but they're always capable of scoring and. Prato might not necessarily be at his peak, but I think whenever whenever he's playing, he, he gives them some some genuine quality, and and I think um, typically when he scores, they they don't lose games. Um, so this is going to be a, a huge uh, challenge, and I think either one of these, whoever gets through this round, could well um, find themselves in the final. I, I genuinely think capable of being. So yeah, a lot to like here, and um, what do you think this? this tie is going to bring Austin. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens to River Plate. Uh, the first leg in this tie won't be played until the end of July. That's a long time in South American football, particularly with a Copa America in between and also a European transfer window being opened up. So I think that could end up having a really big effect on, on what happens in, in this group or in this tie, I should say. Cruzeiro uh, haven't quite been able to put it together in the Libertadores lately. Uh, but this is a, a big marquee headlining tie, and I'm certainly really excited for it. Another tie that will certainly be an interesting one, mainly because of one of the teams involved, is Flamengo against Emelec. Emelec, as I said earlier, the worst positioned of any of the 16 teams to get through to the round of 16, but they get a shot at a Flamengo side that has been up and down in the group stage, and also will certainly be under a lot of pressure in this tie Emelec Simon in this tie will probably be playing with house money, all things considered. A good result at home in the first leg, and you never know what can happen. What do you make of this one? Yeah, I, you know, I think Emelec haven't produced the attacking football we kind of hoped that they might at the start of the tournament, but uh, the results have picked up more recently. Um, they've just picked up a win away in Brazil, which will give them some more confidence. Um, I think that they're a side that still has some work to be done, but up against a big team full of high-profile international players, they haven't got much to lose, as you say. They're going to enjoy the occasion. If they can get something to take to Brazil, I think they have a bit of pace on the counter, um, which could hurt a Flamengo side. You know, Flamengo are full of stars, but haven't always played up to their potential on paper. Uh, and that will be interesting to see. I think they'll have to do that in this tie. So I think it'll be a, an interesting one. If Emelec can take something to Brazil they draw the Brazilians out to attack, then maybe they could hit them on the counter. They've got a bit of pace up there. They've got some good finisher. Brian Angulo can put the ball in the net. So 
you know, it's going to be an interesting one. It's it's a very tough draw, but as you say, there's the pressure is off in that in that situation, and I think uh, I think it should be an interesting one to watch. It's it's quite a classic Libertadores tie as well. Obviously, they they were in the same group last year. Vinicius Junior. Um, announcing himself on the Libertadores stage with a, an amazing brace, and I'm pretty sure um, there was, yeah, that they were in the in the group together in um, 2014 and 2012 as well. Um, Flamengo usually getting the better of the Ecuadorians, but um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a, a fun uh, tie. Brazilians obviously going to be favourite for me as well, but uh, I think Emelec are, are capable of pulling something off. Another tie that will no doubt be interesting is the one that's actually right below that in the draw. So the winners of these two ties will face off in the quarterfinals. Internacional against Nacional of Uruguay. Um, Inter did very well in Group A. They had won the group with a match to spare and then got a point away against River Plate. They've been a strong side. They have a lot of attacking talent. But the one thing that can hinder attacking talent in this competition is a two-legged tie against a Nacional side that's content to dig in and make life hard for you. Tom, you mentioned the potential X-factor of Rodrigo Amaral. Uh, again, two months is a long time in South American football. We're see, we'll see where he's at when this tie comes around. But this is a very tasty attacking side against an Uruguayan side in Nacional that will be content to dig it out and, and play for maybe a solitary goal over the two legs and see if they can see that out. Yeah, it's going to be a real clash of styles, isn't it? Because um, Internacional, uh, the only unbeaten side left in the from the group stage, left in the tournament, um, and they've obviously had a lot of goals, but they've also shipped quite a few as well. Um, you know, with the likes of Sobis, uh, Nico Diente Lopez, Guerrero as well. There's there's a lot of goals in the side, and I think they're they're fun to watch. They were my dark horses before the start of the tournament, and I've been been quite smug about how well they've they've done so far. Um, but if there's as you said, if there's anyone who's going to shut up shop and um, you know, maybe take advantage of one of those defensive errors from Internacional, then the Nacional are looking capable of it. Um, a lot of the times, you know, we we've seen, you know, maybe maybe a a more stingy Nacional kind of edge their way into the group stage. We've not seen them amass quite as many points, but they're still they're still struggling to score loads of goals. So that'd be my main worry. But if uh, Internacional, we're probably going to give them a chance. And um, who knows? Maybe our boy Amaral can can step up and do something special yet again. So yeah, and and I think just purely on the fact their names are quite similar. It's uh, it's quite a satisfying one to see as well. So, yeah, looking forward to this one too. I think I think this is a tie that you couldn't pay me to watch. To be honest, it's two sides <laughs> that it's two sides that absolutely hate having the ball unless they really have to have it. I, I can't see any- anything other than this being very two two very dull matches. Um, anything else would would be a great surprise to me. I was, I was looking at some of Internationals, because uh, in both games about, against Palestino, Palestino played much the better football, in my opinion. And, you know, but they, they were just happy and content to sit back and wait for a moment to punish a Palestino mistake. And so it's going to be interesting to see them try to do that against uh, against Nationale here. Um, I'm not sure the last... 
what the last game was where Internacional had uh, had more possession in the in the Libertadores. But yeah, it's, uh, it's 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 usually a side that doesn't doesn't like to have the ball. So it'd be interesting to see how this one plays out based based on that. Adam, could I convince you to watch it if I told you Internacional had a multi-goal lead with 10 minutes to go in the second leg of this tie? Would you tune in then? <laughs> um, well, maybe 22-man brawl could be just, uh, just the ticket, yeah, uh, if, if, that's, if that's what you're... I'm just saying, things have been known to happen with multi-goal leads on aggregate and Nacional facing elimination. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, another tie that Tom looks... Maybe the first tie that we've really talked about that looks pretty straightforward, at least from the draw, is Palmeiras against Godoy Cruz. Uh, Palmeiras, the top-seeded team coming out of the group stage. You mentioned this is a Godoy Cruz squad that has maybe overperformed the expectations of them, given their squad. Uh, they will certainly try to make life difficult for Palmeiras, but Palmeiras have been very good in, in the Libertadores in the past couple of years. Uh, Luis Felipe Scolari's side is not going to give any quarter to this Godoy Cruz side. It may not be super entertaining to watch, but you have to probably heavily favor Palmeiras here. Oh, definitely. I think Palmeiras have, have looked strong, professional, you know, composed. Apart from that little blip against San Lorenzo in, in their first game, they've they've looked, yeah, very, very good. And um, yeah, I, I would still say a uh, and my favourites for the for the tournament. I don't want to jinx it for you, Austin, but um, appreciate that. Just uh, just calling it how I see it. And uh, as much as uh, Godoy Cruz have done well to get out of the group, um, I think this is where their their story ends, and they won't be too upset by that. You know, they weren't they weren't heavily favoured coming in. So yeah, it should be a routine win for Palmeiras. And the final time, I thought, I, sorry, go I ahead. think I said to you, I think I said to you, Austin, that. I saw this as, you know, uh, a lottery win for for Palmeiras basically in the draw. The the best the jack they hit the jackpot basically I think with this time. Yeah, I certainly think so as well. Um, and you know, it, it is as you said them hitting the jackpot in the lottery, but it's a fair reward for the side that were best in the group stage in the competition. Uh, obviously, they wouldn't. True. This was this would have been the fixture in the old format wouldn't it for the best qualified team versus the worst qualified team something along those lines yeah so i think a good reward for palmatis the rest of the draw anytime you make the libertadores quarterfinal it's going to be a tricky tie uh, but gremio and libertad palmatis have avoided uh river plate they've avoided boca juniors and they've avoided flamengo in their corner in their quarter uh which i think is a positive for them and they should be heavily favored in this tie but this is the Copa Libertadores, so saying that, Godoy Cruz will probably be able to make this more difficult than it should be. Uh, the final tie that we've yet to mention, Simon, I'll come to you. It's the only tie that does not feature either a Brazilian side or an Argentine side. So that's a guarantee that Adam Brandon will be watching to see one non-Brazilian or Argentine side through to the quarterfinals. It's Liga de Quito against Olympia. Olympia ended up only winning their group with just nine points. This is a Liga de Quito side that grew into this competition as it went on. Simon, are the Ecuadorians favorites in this tie? I'm not sure. Um, they definitely showcase some good attacking football in this uh, in this group stage at times, um, finishing with a bit of a counter as well. Uh, they've got pace. They've got a good amount of quality. I just, I kind of think Olympia might have a bit of nous. And at home, the Paraguayan side have been doing well. You know, I I probably lean slightly towards Olympia in this 
next one. I, I think Liga de Quito will play probably the better stuff, at least the more attractive, uh, creative stuff. Um, but I, I think they might be a little bit vulnerable, whereas I think Olympia might have a bit of, a bit of nous, a bit of grit to maybe edge their way through in this tie. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting one. I think a, a bit of a clash of styles in this one. Um, Liga de Quito playing with a bit more pace. Olympia, you know, a bit more, a bit more measured in their play, perhaps. So it will be an interesting tie, and it's a good opportunity for both sides to make their way through. Uh, happy to see a non-Brazilian Argentine um, get through to the next round. And, and I do think these are two interesting teams, but I do kind of lean towards Olympia in just in terms of you know being a bit more professional, perhaps, in managing a two-legged tie. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I would agree. I think Olympia um, have looked decent. They didn't have the maybe the toughest group to get out of, um, but certainly Camacho has been one of the the best players in the group stages. Um, I think, you know, with Rocket Santa Cruz, they've got a good war horse up front and, and you know, plenty of decent players um, in midfield and, and at the back, lots of, uh, lots of experience and um, some good options off the bench as well. Um, and, and on that theme of non-Argentinian clubs, I think um, Cerro Bordeño have got a brilliant chance of, uh, of getting through into the quarterfinals and have probably been one of the, the strongest out of the Paraguayans and up against their similarly named um, Ciclon rival San Lorenzo. They, they, they've got a very nice draw there. San Lorenzo did have that purple patch where they started winning some games, but they've kind of reverted to type now. Four games without a win, only one goal, I think, in their last six in all competitions. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that initial good run may well be over and, um, depending on who they get in as manager, then, um, yeah, they, they might find themselves out of the tournament uh, before before the new manager can really make um, make some changes. So I think we could potentially see um, a, a couple of uh, couple of Paraguayan sides in the quarterfinals and, and uh, yeah, may, maybe even one might sneak into the semis. Yeah, for me, Cerro Pateño have been the side that have really caught my eye in this tournament. You know, great atmosphere at home. Uh, the fullback we mentioned, Arcelaga, is really good. Uh, a good solid side, move the ball well. A kind of a variety in attack. They can get the ball wide and whip it in, but they're, you know, also quite dynamic in midfield. So for me, Cerro Porteño has been the most interesting side in this tournament, and this is very much a win, a tie that they can win. San Lorenzo, <laughs> disappointing that they edged a, a head through against Junior, but Junior deserved nothing. But Cerro Pot- uh, San Lorenzo seemed quite limited to me. The form that they had, the little boost of form has gone. And I think this is a real great opportunity for Cerro Porteño and uh, Paraguayan football is looking pretty good this year. Uh, Adam, what did you think? Yeah, just just um, just on both Olympia and Cerro Porteño, really. I, th- I think that these two, although they're Paraguayan sides and they might get labelled with some of the stereotypical uh, kind of uh, things that Paraguayan sides get labelled with, I think they're two of the better, more progressive footballing sides in the competition. Both have averaged well over 50% possession in, in their game so far. Um, and as as you both said already, you know, they've been two of the better sides to watch as well, with some of the most interesting players on display. Camacho for, for, for Olympia, I've been really, really impressed by. Um, and Sarah Porteño... Have have also got a couple of very decent talents in in their ranks as well. So 
I think uh, I think I'd fancy both the Paraguayans to to make it through to the last eight. I think I would agree with you there, Adam. Although I do like this Liga de Quito side. I liked what they did. And they're the only side that have altitude here in the round of 16 on their side. So we'll see what happens in all of these ties. Again, these ties will be played at the end of July, but did want to give you just a quick snapshot of where the round of 16 is as we head towards it. Well, that'll do it for us on this edition of the South American Football Show. I'm going to go around the table quickly and let everybody know where you can find them on social media. Adam, I'll start with you. Where can the listeners find you for all the latest from not only Chilean football, but also Norwich City as they make their triumphant return to their promised land of the Premier League? (laughs) Indeed. um, You can find me at AdamBradson84 on Twitter. I actually released a podcast the other day which looked at the three sides who competed for automatic promotion to the Premier League this season and um, and that was of course Norwich, Sheffield United and Leeds so I had an expert on from, from Sheffield United and Leeds to, to discuss that race and, and some of the styles and things you can perhaps expect from Norwich and Sheffield United in the Premier League next season um, so give that a listen if you're interested in that. Um, as for South American content then I think in the next few days it it's worth keeping a lookout on on this feed for a preview of the under twenty South Amer- um, the under twenty World Cup, where we'll be looking at the South American sides heading to Poland and uh, and maybe some of the players to look out for. No, Tom. Yep, definitely um, looking forward to that, and uh, I'm sure we'll get some scout like scouting spotlight pods out. We've been a bit uh, quiet on that front recently, but with the uh, summer transfer window rolling into uh roll to, rolling into the site then um i think it's about time that we um we uh cracked a load more out so yeah keep an eye out for that and you can uh, follow me on twitter at tom robo 89 as well adam i assume my invitation for that podcast on the championship got lost in the mail to break down stoke city's uh 22 draw season down in the championship close to automatic promotion but just not quite yeah well the pod lasted an hour and 40 minutes as it was uh without having your input about as long as your typical stoke city nil nil draw then so i would have fit right in uh, finally, indeed, indeed. finally simon where can listeners find you on twitter uh at simon edwards saf uh so yeah looking forward to looking at the u20 world cup and also copper america is coming into view so uh, i've done some bits and pieces on that as well and uh, i'm sure we'll be discussing that more moving forward what about you austin you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. You can follow the World Football Index on social media, of course, for all of the latest from us. And I would also encourage you to follow at the Libertadores and at the Sudamericana for all of the official news from those two competitions. Thank you for choosing the World Football Index for this podcast. Thanks for listening. As always, we are nothing without our listeners. So thanks for taking the time out of your day to catch up on the latest from South American football. That's all for me. Have a good one and goodbye.
Woo! That's how you land the plane right there, folks.